Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Daily Walk Heavenwards podcast. I'm Father Stanislaw and I'm so glad that I am journeying with you during this season of Advent. And uh, very quickly, let's open the Word and encounter Christ speaking to us. We are looking at the um, Gospel of Matthew 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. If you have your Bible, I invite you to pick them up and read it beforehand. And the second reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 and 10. And the first reading is from chapter 35 of Isaiah. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives so that we can listen to Christ speaking to us and allowing us to say yes to His will as He presents it to us through these readings. Hello, I'm very glad that uh, you gave me the opportunity to share with you uh, the, the readings of last Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, in Advent. And um, I'm very well aware that this episode comes a little late. It's Friday. And uh, I think it's an opportunity for us to review the week and so we can get ready for next Sunday. But what are we encountering this, in this liturgy of the world? Well, you know, my friend, I, I think we need to talk about uh, something that is very important because I have experienced it myself and also with other people that... Um, we think that having faith, being a person of faith, means to have no doubts. That we are to believe everything as it has been given, and we are not allowed to use our minds because we may afraid, be afraid that if we start wondering, if, if we start thinking or doubting, we may uh, go against the faith. Well, um, I think it's an unfair way of putting things um, out there for us because there is a type of doubt that is necessary for us to use in order to grow. Um, there, are kind, there are doubts that can paralyze us, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about uh, facing the reality that life and therefore our Christian faith contains some elements that we could explain, I could call them as ambiguity. Like uh, we get it, but we wish it were in a different way, or uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and we struggle because we think that going back and forth, struggling with these kind of things may be a sign of lack of faith. But I think these things that happen to us, these feelings, these situations we find ourselves in, can be very healthy, and especially if they can be used as a springboard to find new answers and therefore give us the opportunity to move forward in our Christian faith. And it's beautiful that uh, 
At this time, we are given the figure of John the Baptist to guide us as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. As I said before, Christ has already come. We are celebrating not only the arrival of Jesus uh, when he was born 2,000 plus years ago, but also the constant awareness that God is so close to us that he is in us, he lives in us. The problem is that we have to become aware of this and adjust our mindset and adjust our behavior to match this beautiful reality that God is close to us and he loves us to death. So we want to become more and more aware of this reality. And therefore, following John the Baptist, we are looking at our ambiguities, the, the, the things that are not clear, about our faith, about ourselves, about Jesus, and start facing them. As I said, sometimes doubts can be paralyzing because they can give us excuses for not moving, for remaining where we are. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not what I am talking about. We need to deal with doubts as source of excuses finding. We are looking at facing uh, and responding to the call of deepening our understanding of ourselves, of God and others. We already said that last week we were called to repent and therefore to change our mind, uh, minds about who we are, about who God is, and most especially about who other Christians and other people in the world, whether they're Christian or not, are. Because we need to start looking at things from the point of view of God. So, let's enter into the Gospel. And we are on the 11th chapter of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And um, the the section begins with this word, now. Uh, Last time we heard about John the Baptist was in chapter 4. And we are pretty much introducing the same way to the passage with this word, Now, when, uh, depending on the translation that you have. So, it's a new cycle of story. So, uh, John was arrested in chapter 4 of the gospel. Now, we're in chapter 11. He's in prison and he wants to send a message to Jesus. And he uses his, sends his words through his disciples. So, we know that the disciples of John the Baptist continued to exist um, for quite some times, we encounter later on. We encounter them later on in the New Testament. We don't know, at least I don't know. Uh, if you do, uh, let me know what they did. If they continued particular practice of living the the message of John, not really sure. But they are there, and they are hearing this episode of the gospel. So, what do they do? They go to Jesus and they present to him what John asked which is, are you the one or should we wait for another, another of a different kind? What is John saying? Of course, John already established, already recognized Jesus as the one who is to come. And uh, so what's happening? Well, John is confused, has doubts, is facing ambiguity in his life. And why? Well, because his ideas about who Jesus, who the Messiah was supposed to be, 
are correct. He is supposed, the Messiah is supposed to come and bring judgment, overthrow the enemies, and lift up his own people. But he did not have a complete image of who the Messiah is. And therefore, is facing this situation like Jesus is not behaving according to what he heard. And we don't know what he heard because, you know, what happens when people gossip? They may, may report something correctly or not. But the fact is that he's, a, he's in this situation. And like him, I have been in this situation. I am in this situation. And I'm pretty much sure that you have been in this situation too. Like, why is this happening? Things should be in a different way. Um, the priests should behave in a different way. Bishops should behave in a different way. The popes should behave in a different way. And we priests say, and people should behave in a different way. Everybody should behave in a different way. We are struggling. And we need to welcome this struggle and go through it and not stopping there. So John sends the message and the disciples ask. They go to Jesus and say, are you the one? Now imagine, I don't know what Jesus really did, but in my mind, when I visualize these passages, you know, probably was a little surprised. Like, how can he say that? I mean, he baptized me and he knew about it. But so... Jesus was not behaving as John was expecting. And uh, Jesus, John was expecting a Messiah that would bring judgment, as he preached about. And Jesus instead was doing other things. Uh, what was he doing, for example, that confused John? Well, there are new texts in Judaism that I know of that, exp that explain that, that said that the Messiah was supposed to heal people or perform miracles. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. It's making people whole. It's letting people go back into their community, integrating their life, social life, and a life of faith. That's something that John was not expecting, and therefore he struggled. Um, so, I don't know about you, as I said, I want to know Jesus as the Messiah every single day. And I, in a way, if I enter into my struggles, I rejoice because I'm glad that Jesus always exceeds my expectations, always goes further. Because when I go in a different direction, I realize he's already there. Jesus is already there. So no matter what I do, no matter what I think, if I'm constantly looking for him, I will find it. And I will find it in time of doubts, in times of ambiguity, in times of darkness. Uh, as I told you, I find this situation um, very familiar to me because I, like every person, have expectations as well about people, about the church, uh, about uh, clergy, about the superiors, about everybody. And the point is that if I don't allow myself to be changed by Jesus, I cannot expect things that I'm not willing to do myself from others. And, um, and, and let's enter into the reality of the church today. It's amazing how many times I hear that um, people tell me, well, you know, don't go to church because the Pope is not doing what I think he should be doing. Well, that's pretty much the situation 
the job was in. He's looking at someone, for example, said, well, I'm not expecting. This should not be the behavior that is expected, that is expected from us, from me. Well, engage that situation. Just like John struggled and engaged it, like we have to do the same. Um, so what is the answer that Jesus gives to the disciples and therefore to John? Jesus does not engage in a battle of theories. You know, he's not explaining, he's not doing the Bible studies, he's not picking up, you know, the commentaries or ex- explaining things in a theoretical way. He goes to lesson number one, which is God is love and God intervenes out of his love in people's lives in a very experiential way. So as far as John is concerned, Jesus is saying, don't get stuck in your opinions about me because they can be a stumbling block. They can make you fall. Because Jesus has no, um, no, no rights to, to, to fulfill John's expectations. He has to do his own job. He has to do his own things. And if there is someone who needs to engage that, that reality, it's John and not Jesus. Um, so Jesus is saying to John, look at what's happening to people. Enlarge, expand your point of view. Stop thinking only about what is expected, what you are thinking about me, and look at people around you. They are experiencing the presence of God. They are experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They are listening to the words of Jesus, acting on them, and finding healing. That's how the kingdom is coming not based on our opinions. Christianity is experiential. I said that many times. It's a lifestyle. We are reducing everything to debates or arguments, even online. You know, I hear a lot of people just arguing, 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 which is good and necessary. But we have to double the amount of life so that our words will actually match to it. People can listen to us up to a certain point. It's they, they look at how we live this reality. And this is also another reality in our faith. A lot of people who want to defend the faith end up invalidating the message because they are living in a different way. And what is this different way? What is the challenge that Advent, that the realization that the kingdom of God is at hand brings into our lives? Well, it's always the same one. Because we cannot live Christianity outside of this reality. Let's look at the second reading, the the reading from the letter of James. We are in chapter 5. And in this little passage, James used the words brothers and sisters three times. He's talking to the members of his community and saying, guys, you must stop creating disunity inside of the community. Stop grumbling. You know why? He says something that is very important. He says, do not grumble. Do not um, gossip. Do not speak evil against one another because that is what brings judgment on you. 
Let's think about this. Uh, we want Jesus to bring the Messiah, do the right thing, and we want people to push that kind of things. But James is reminding us that when we break disunity within the Christian community, within the church, that makes us guilty of, uh, <clears throat> of what the, the, the judge who's coming will be demanding of us. We sometimes forget that there is a, a reality called the sin against the unity of the body of Christ. Whenever we explain and express our opinions against how certain people do things and others, if we are creating confusion, we are grumbling, and we are creating division, we are responsible. We think we, and this grumbling make us feel very, very self-righteous, right? But in reality, they become the source of judgment for us. So, James is reminding us that becoming aware of the kingdom, of the presence of the kingdom in our lives, the presence of God in our lives, must be lived out in our relationships with others. Now, uh, this topic is not typical of James. It's all over the, the New Testament. So Paul talked about it. James, as we heard, talks about it. Peter will talk about it. The letters of John are filled with this uh, commands to love one another means to put up with one another, be kind to one another, building each other up rather than destroying each other and each other's journey, you know, interfering. That's the difference that the church makes in the world, that our churches make in the world. Of course, we, we go to church and we want to be loved. Very seldom I hear people saying, Father, I don't go to church anymore because... I was not loving them enough. But it's mostly because I'm not loved enough, which is sacrosanct. We have the right to be loved by our brothers and sisters, but equally so, be kind and loving to them. Um, Paul, uh, James, in, in this letter, talks about this uh, already in, uh, previously in chapter 2 when he calls the loving one another the royal law. And... Uh, Imagine, this is the supreme law that we have in Christianity, which is the very first one that we ignore. And then he says, invites us to stand firm, to establish our hearts on a solid rock and stop going back and forth. He already talked about um, this at the beginning of the, of the letter when um, in chapter 1. Um, chapter 1-8, when he identifies some of the Christians as double-minded. You know, first believe one thing, they go to, then they go back, and they go back and forth. They, make up, they never make up their minds. He now says, establish your heart. Focus on one thing and start living that one. And I think it's a beautiful challenge for us as well, as we acknowledge that we may uh, be facing ambiguity, doubts, uh, about ourselves, our relationship with God, and about our faith. Go through it and say, is this my expectation or is that person living the gospel? Is there something there that I need to uh, face and uh, embrace or not? I'm reminded of a story that um, someone very dear to me told me, and um, she used to go to church, and at one point she was feeling very uh, disenchanted by uh, the parishioners because 
she was seeing them as um, going to church just to fulfill duties, just to show off the new hats and coats and things. It was just everything superficial. And as she was meditating on this, she heard, in quotation, Jesus telling her, acknowledge that and make the resolution, make the decision of not being like them. So the fact that other people may not be exactly champions of charity and of faith in our lives does not necessarily give us permission not to live the gospel. So if in our struggling, in our ambiguity, we acknowledge that someone is not up to standard and we want to make sure that that is the case, we want to make the resolution of being more committed to the faith rather than grumbling and passing on judgment. Ooh, that's tough. But the word is the same for all of us, so we want to pray for one another. I know that I will be praying for you, and I hope you will pray for me, so that we may continue, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we commit ourselves to love one another, so that indeed we may live the truth in love and be Examples of what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand so that people may find in the way we live, in the way we love them, in the way we speak to them, that Jesus indeed is born and Christmas really makes a difference in our lives. I wish you well and I hope that uh, your Advent uh, season is continuing to bring fruit to all of you and um, let's bow our heads and pray. A loving God, who see how your people faithfully await the feast of the Lord's nativity, enable us, we pray, to attain the joys of so great a salvation and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.